Romans chapter 4, verse 13. The next heading is justification is apart from the law. Justification is apart from the law. That's verses 13 through 16. Justification is apart from the law. Verses 13 through 16. If you are in Romans chapter 4, verse 13, say amen. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. Because the law works wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. I'm going to go ahead and read through verse 18 because that's where I got studied to. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall your seed B. Okay, justification is apart from the law. That's verses 13 through 16. Uh, let's just dive right on in. So, Dad, go ahead, uh, verse 13. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham, nor to his seed through the law. This actually means in virtue of obedience to the law. It is speaking of the law of Moses. While the law of Moses is addressed here, it is used only as a symbol, actually referring to any law or method one may use in order to effect salvation. It actually means in virtue of obedience to the law. And it's speaking about the law of Moses here, that the promise that Abraham should be the heir of the world, uh, though the promise was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. That promise didn't get, Abraham didn't receive that promise. God didn't say, if you're obedient to the law, then you will be the heir of the world. And the seed, it, that, that's not how it worked. He said, believe. It is through faith that he was given righteousness. Not through the law, not through obedience. So there's no, Abraham didn't receive the promise through obedience of any type of law. It wasn't through Abraham, and we saw, we saw that, that justification is apart from circumcision. He didn't say, Abraham, if you, once you're circumcised, Abraham, if you'll get circumcised, then the promise is yours. They didn't say that. The promise was given to Abraham before circumcision. 
The promise was given to Abraham before the law of Moses came. Abraham received the promise from God based off of faith, not anything else, not obedience to any law whatsoever. All right, now I've got that getting ahead of myself there. <laughs> While the law of Moses is addressed here, it is used only as a symbol, actually referring to any law or method one may use in order to affect salvation. So it's the law of Moses that's used right here. And in context, it's the law of Moses. But, re but the Holy Spirit is also saying, through Paul, is saying, not any type of law. The law of Moses is the law that God gave. So if the law that God gave doesn't affect salvation in any way, then it's also obvious that a man-made law cannot affect salvation in any way. If the law that God gave down himself, because the law of Moses is the law of God, Paul said it's holy, it's right, it's just. So if the law of God couldn't affect salvation at all, in any single way, then any man-made law can't as well. So any law that is uh, that would be used, uh, or, or method, or anything that would be used to affect salvation would also fall in the same category. It, it's a, the promise was given apart from all of that. If the law of God could not bring salvation, how in the world does anyone think that man's puny and pitiful laws would be any better? Uh, if... If the law of God, I say it, but if the law of God couldn't affect salvation, then for me to go to Brother Danny and say, Brother Danny, if you want to be accepted by God and you want to be saved, then you have to read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in six months. Now, if I do that, even though in all reality, that sounds pretty good. I didn't even give you anything that's horrible. I mean, I didn't, you know, I, that was like, oh man, that's, and it'd probably even be beneficial for you. But it won't bring salvation, that's the problem. And that's the way that I presented it. It would be beneficial, and, and in all reality, most likely if I went and said that all over the place, I would probably deceive some people because it's something good. Like, reading the Bible from the front to the back. <laughs> In other words, let's make it more realistic. In one year. In a year, you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and God, that's you'll be pleasing to God. Now, like I say, it sounds good. It's a good something good. It's even good within itself to read the Bible from front to back in one year is very beneficial. And as believers, a true child of God, we probably should be doing that. Because it's beneficial to our faith. <laughs> it's going to help you. It won't harm you. But whenever it gets put in the wrong light, then it becomes totally bad. That won't affect your salvation whatsoever. And what I've done is I've just totally lied to Brother Danny. <laughs> and instead of Brother Danny achieving salvation, he's going the opposite way. He's not receiving salvation. Actually, he would put himself in opposition to God's plan of salvation because God said it's by faith alone. So now he's actually trying to achieve 
salvation another way than what God has set it up. So even though it's a good thing, I've just made him an enemy of God. That's the type of things that, are, that happen. And people don't know. They don't even notice. They don't even know what's happening. They've never been taught. Never been taught, hey, that puts you at, you're, you're an enemy of God if you go that route. No, that's, it's just not taught. I'll just, I'll just, as far as I know, it's just not taught. Um, maybe dad, you've, you've, you know, or brother Danny, even you guys been in ministry a long, I have never heard a minister say that. <laughs> that, hey, if somebody does this, then they're actually making you an enemy of God. And most of the time, the minister doesn't even know that either. He's just, because it's, it is something good. I mean, let's, reading the scripture through from Genesis to Revelation is good. That is good, and it will be beneficial. The only problem is, not for salvation. And then, so if I pitch it for salvation, well, you might now put a law on Brother Danny. Now, if Brother Danny achieves it, man, praise God, Brother Danny's feeling good, but he's not saved. He's just feeling good. And now he's going to be self-righteous. And now he's going to put that same law on everybody else. I did it. <laughs> I did. That's right. I did. I mean, I did. It's the same idea with fasting. Yeah. Law will always leave somebody out. I've had, I've actually seen this happen where fasting, fasting's not bad. Some churches have chosen to take, and if it's a God-led fast, that's fine. We do it as that. But I have had... You know, situations where people have, they come up to you and says, well, what you need to do is what we've done. It, we, you need to fast 21 days. I'm telling you, we did it and it worked. It, it, everybody, I'm just telling everybody, I'm just spreading that word to everybody. Fat, they need, need to fast, you know, 21 days, you know. Well, that's great. But, and that's good that you did it. And if it was a God-led fast, you should have done it. You should be doing it. Absolutely. But it's not something that we're supposed to take then. And put on everybody else and say, if you'll do this, people have to be led to do things like that. And if it's a church-wide thing that the pastor feels like and he's leading his church in, and he really feels like, okay, that's great. Doesn't mean you have to go around and tell every other church that you're not doing right. You're not as good as we are because we're, it's just not the way it works. And it's that Bible example that you were given, that's the same type of thing. We'll take religious exercises or something that might even be a very good thing in our life. It may even be a, a God-led thing. But as soon as we make it something other than what it was, we boast in it for one. And then we start putting that on somebody else that right. they should do it too. And if they don't do it, then somehow or another, eh, well, you know, they're just not quite there yet. Like I said, if it's any type of law, it's going to leave somebody out all the time. Somebody, some group will get left out. But from what I see in scripture, God has no desire that any man be left out regardless. So he makes his redemption plan so where everyone can do it, which is by faith. Everybody can have faith. Right. And everybody does have faith. But law will always put somebody out. It'll keep somebody. So if you're a diabetic... You can't fast 21 days. You'd be lucky to fast 10 days, five days. There's all kind of different things. So, so fasting would leave somebody out. Everything, water baptism, leave somebody out. 
I mean, I, I can give extre- you know, yeah. examples that would be extreme examples, but... Well, wouldn't that be if you, if you fasted because you wanted something? You know, wouldn't that be kind of like, you know, holding a gun to God's head? I mean, I, it could be used as a... You know, like you fast because you need some money. And we do it, sometimes we do it not even knowing is we try to use God's word against them. And we don't even realize we're doing it. Yeah. Well, Lord, your word says, your word says this, but it's not his will for your life. The Lord says that you want your children to prosper. And we, in our mind, we're thinking money or whatever, job. And when that doesn't happen, oh, well, God's a lie. No, no, no. You misinterpret it. Yeah. You misinterpreted the promise. The promise was that you would prosper spiritually. But you said that I have that you would prosper, uh, that you would prosper as your soul prospers. The first thing he is more important, he is totally focused on is the prosperity of you spiritually. If that's happening, he'll take care of the rest. Whatever his will is for you is going to happen. If, he, if God's will is for me to be a millionaire, then if I prosper spiritually, then he's going to make that happen. Because he'll be able to, because it won't, I'll be prepared. I would allow the Lord to prepare me to handle it. And I'd have to continuously lean on him for his grace. One of the things, this is a little off, but uh, Paul said that I learned how to abase and to abound. Yes. A lot of the times we look on the abase. That I learned, he said, I learned. I learned how to abase, to be abased. Well, sometimes we just got to learn that all we need is Jesus. And that's true. That's true. Absolutely. You done right. That's true. And I'll say amen to that. But the one that we pass over is that he, he also said, and abound. That he had to learn even how to abound without moving his eyes from Jesus. In his abasement, he had to learn to keep his eyes fixed on Jesus, that that's all he needed. But even in abounding, he had to learn the same thing to keep his eyes on Jesus, that that's all he needed. That he, his, he wasn't caught up in how much he had or didn't have. Now, like I said, we'll quickly go to the abasement part because we all say amen to that. That's when we really grab a hold of Jesus. <laughs> but when you're abounding, that's when you're more likely to lose sight of Christ. And you know why I think that is a challenge because... Yeah, we start to feel good, especially if it's financially, like we tend for whatever reason, man, we tend to just start trusting in money and riches and that, well, you know, we don't, we don't really need God to provide for us anymore because, well, we'll be all right. And we just, it's something we, and all of us, we, any, anybody's susceptible to that. So Paul said he learned how to be abased. And to abound. What he was saying was, I had to learn how to keep 
my eyes on Jesus Christ when I had nothing and when I had everything. When I had an abundance, when I had more than what I needed, I still had to learn how to fix my eyes on Jesus. Guess what the good fight of faith is? That's it. All the way through. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, whether you are abased or whether you abound. So it's the same, but a lot of times, like I said, we skip over that. We just like skip over the abounding part. But he had to learn both. Which means if he had to learn it, he had to be both. He had to be abased. He had to go through a season where he was abased, didn't have anything. And he also had to learn how to abound. So he had to go through a season where he abounded. So that he would know how to operate in that. Every, every season that you experience, God's trying to teach you how to operate. Not to get you out of it, to teach you how to operate in it. That his grace is sufficient in, in it. In the season. And the truth is, as you learn to operate in his grace in the season that you're at, you'll find that you come out of it. But if your sole focus is getting out of it, then you won't stay. Because you you don't you're missing the thing. But if your focus is, Lord, how do I teach me how to operate in your grace in this season? Then before too long. You're going to just be walking right along with Jesus, operating in the grace of God, and it will be the keeping power for whatever season it is, and you'll be out of it, and you won't even notice it. Like, oh, wait, what? How'd we get here? That's what you <laughs> How'd we get here? Yeah. I didn't even notice the change because you were just walking with Jesus. <laughs> okay, let's roll more back here. Fasting, that's what it was. Yeah. Most of the time, honestly, when it comes to fasting, it's mostly used in the in a, in a not correct scriptural manner. Most of the time with fasting. When you look at fasting in scripture, most of the time that it seems to take place, you see it in the Old Testament with sackcloth and ashes, where they're in a type of, of, of mourning, because really because something has happened in their life to, to get their attention. So now they're humbling themselves and putting their eyes back on the Lord. The second thing that you'll see is in the New Testament, you see the disciples and they have to make a decision. They need direction. But what, what do we do? And they would fast to, to, in order for God to give them direction. But you'll never see fasting to overcome sin. It's not scriptural. That's why I say a lot of times fasting is totally used out of the context of scripture. Well, if we fast, God will do this. That's not scriptural. This It's just not scriptural. Uh, if you need direction and you have an hard time getting it, fasting is scriptural. That's just, that would be a scriptural thing. Um, Brother Danny, Dad, is there any other scripturally... Uh, the correct way to use fasting scripturally. Oh, yeah, I think you're right as far as the idea of being bring a, it's, it's to get a better focus on hearing God. Really, that's the idea. I want to get bring my my I'm going to shut down certain other things in my life so that I can better hear from the Lord. That's the idea. Uh, it seems to me uh, for fasting. You're right. It doesn't. You can't. You know. 
try, trying to get victory over sin or trying to a financial blessing or whatever the case. You really don't see that in scripture. Certainly in the Old Testament, yes, it was because they went into mourning. But the, still, there the idea was is that we need we need to get our folk. We have gotten off. Right. Our focus has been off. That's why we got in this situation, and we need to get back to the things of God and the things that are important. So it's just a, a regrouping, if you will, almost, and bringing our attention. That's why some people choose. That's why a lot of churches oftentimes will call their churches to fast at the beginning of the year and used properly can be a very beneficial thing for the church because it brings the focus on God right there at the beginning of the year. Let's seek the Lord for our lives. Let's seek the Lord for our church. But to try to take it outside of that realm and try to use it for something else, it's not, not yeah. good. Oh, I know for me, uh, where where you see Jesus in the Gospels talking about fasting, uh, specifically in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, uh, he gives the 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 Lord's Prayer and then fasting. Um, now, based off of what my dad has done a teaching here on the Lord's Prayer, and really that the way that the Pharisees taught in that day was by outlines so the lord's prayer is basically that it is an outline of prayer uh our father which and my dad taught that so i don't need to go into detail but our father which are in heaven all of it. it's just an outline of the different things so when you pray the lord's prayer correctly like that outline form and what it does is it locks you in your faith really it locks your faith into the cross of Christ you are you are literally praying the cross you're praying and you know that you're praying the will of God you I never have to guess whether I pray the will of God or not whenever I pray the Lord's Prayer in that fashion it like locks you in uh, the way that I, I remember um, the Lord just dealing with me about it while I was in Bible college is that uh, in the military, in the Air Force, they have the fighter jets. And those fighter jets have the ability to lock on to a target. They have that, I don't know exactly what it's called, but it can actually lock on, and we've seen it in movies, it can lock on to whatever their target is. It will lock on, and then you just shoot, and you're going to hit the target. When you pray the Lord's Prayer correctly, it's that idea. It's like your faith is able to lock on to the cross. And you are praying the new covenant. So it, it helps your faith in the right object. So if the Lord's Prayer pattern does that, and then after he gave that, he gave fasting. Then to me... So, and I have, I've, I've done my best to somewhat think about it without real like an in-depth study. But to me, it's got to do some type of, it's got to work in some type of fashion like that as well. Um, it's got to, if it's not, if it's not assisting your faith, in, if it's not assisting and guiding your faith in the right object, then you're not doing it properly. You can't be doing right. it properly. 
that's basically the gist of what I've been where the Lord's with the Lord's prayer and then fasting to me that he didn't say that right after for no reason it's got to have some type of connection so I think like my dad said that it really is to help our faith uh, get back on the right object uh, when, when it gets off or just a good old fashioned help I don't know what to do I don't know what to do I don't know what to do so I'm just I need direction and then it's just like shooting up a flare to God I need direction right uh, that's what I've seen scripturally I brought the fasting helps to for you to deny self and that's the whole purpose of it is to deny self and when it comes to self you get our number one thing is food. You know, in the garden, it was the food of the fruit that caused Eve to sin, which eventually caused Adam to sin. But it was because of the food. And so fasting gets our eyes off of that self-sustaining fruit and gets us focused off of food and gets us focused on Jesus, on God. And, and that's the purpose of, of fasting. And in the process of getting focused on God, then we get away from focusing on food. And then we got unbelief that falls in there because one of the places in, in Matthew 17, Jesus uh, told a guy, the disciples, why couldn't we cast this demon out? It only goes out by prayer and fasting, but it was because of your unbelief. Yeah. And when you're fasting and you're focusing on God, then unbelief comes up. Well, you can, when you wipe self out of the way, you wipe unbelief out of the way. You get doubt out of the way. You get fear out of the way. You get all these man-made emotions, you get them wiped away and your focus is back where it needs to be. And when, you, when you're fasting, that's what it does. Yeah, I, I've actually, it's, uh, that passage that you're talking about, because obviously, you know, you, you know, kind of doing a study on fasting, what you need to get up there. <laughs> uh, and, and based off of scripture as a whole, what do we know has defeated every spirit, every, is the cross. The cross has defeated every demonic spirit, every principality and power has been defeated by the cross of Christ. Jesus has already defeated him. So knowing that in the context of scripture, and then you see that passage and Jesus says, it's by prayer, this only comes out by prayer and fasting. Then, of course, it's like, well, wait a minute, hold up. Scripture bears out pretty plainly that it's all, there's already been defeated by the cross. So, how can this scripture, because no, nowhere, there, no, nowhere in scripture is going to butt heads and cap, it just, it's not going to happen. If, if we run into a place in scripture where we think it does butt heads or contradict itself, then we're interpreting it wrongly. And uh, 
So I was real curious. <laughs> and uh, I, one of the things that I felt like the Lord uh, told me was just that, actually. That it, was the, it wasn't that the prayer, the act of praying, and the act of fasting is what did it. What Jesus did, would do at Calvary, is what defeated it. The prayer and fasting was speaking more of the lifestyle. A lifestyle of prayer, communion with God, dependence upon God, a lifestyle of trust in God, and fasting, a type of self-denial. A lifestyle of trusting in God, depending upon God, communion with God, and a denial of self. That's what I felt like. So it speaks to that, that fasting is, 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 it is, I mean, it is a type of denying yourself. And we know that the greatest form of self-denial is the cross. And you can't, you, if you don't, if you don't, you actually cannot get to Jesus without a denial of self. What is the Luke chapter 9? Uh, if any man desire to be my disciple, he must deny himself take up his cross daily and follow after me a lot of people have seen that passage in an incorrect way uh, suffering <laughs> if you must suffer that's taking up your cross man suffer well you know what you just gonna I, I had somebody tell me this I had somebody tell me this whenever I was going through my time. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about I've experienced someone tell me this whenever I was going through my experience where I did, I wanted to be married. And I had someone tell me, I'm not going to tell you it is, and I'm not even going to tell you what their belief system is. It doesn't matter. They told me that, well, that's just your cross to bear. Why? Because, well, that's just suffering. No, 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 that's not the cross. Talks about, let's just flip there. Let's flip there. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. When you're there, say amen. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross daily and follow after me. So, uh, he's talking to disciples here. He's talking to his, he's talking to the twelve, and then the outer disciples, which would have been about seventy or something like that, I think, and then the multitude. So, if any man will come after me, that's the criteria for discipleship. You cannot be a disciple unless you come after Christ. Let him deny himself. It's, it's, not, it's not asceticism or none of that. It's not denying all pleasures. It, it, that's not it. Because then, if that's the case, then we're going back to works. Because, that, well, I'm a disciple because I am willing to give up. I'll go live in a cardboard box in the wilderness. And God's pleased because I'll do that for him. No, actually, that's, that's that would totally contradict the rest of Scripture, <laughs> because 
nowhere do you see that. You're just not going to find that. It's not asceticism. But it's a denial of one's own willpower, uh, self-will, strength, of your own ability, your education, your, all of those things. Your own, you, everything that involves self, a denial of that. So a denial of my willpower to live for God. I, I don't possess it. I can't do it. A denial of my willpower, my ability to live this Christian life. I can't do it. A denial of my ability to overcome sin within myself. I can't do it. A denial of my own will. This is where sometimes you see that the dying to self can be a little hard. When your will for your life but heads with God's will for your life. My will for my life was not to be here as a minister. My will for my, I'll just tell you, just, my will for my life was to go play college football at Mississippi State and then maybe go pro because I love sports. So that was my will. That's what Tanner wanted for Tanner's life. That was Tanner's goal and Tanner's dream. And God had a, had a plan for me to be in ministry. So Tanner's will came into competition with God's will, even though I wasn't even living for him. But God had a will for my life. And when those two came into play, he knew I was going to say yes. Okay, so that falls in. He knew I was going to accept him as Lord and Savior. So we'll just throw that in there. That falls under the, you know, he knew that. But Tanner's will came into conflict with God's will. What preceded that was a wrestling match. And I lost. <laughs> but in the losing, I won. Yes. But that's sometimes that's the denying what Tanner wants for Tanner's life. You can plug your name in that too. What we want for our lives as human beings. We want what we want. Our life is all about us. Me, me, me. I, I, I. You want to know the number one thing that happened at the fall of man? That's it. You got it right there. Me, me, me. I, I, I. Before that, there was no consciousness of that. That's why they didn't even know they were naked. They were totally God conscious. They weren't self conscious at all. Totally God conscious. And then when they fell, then it said that they knew their nakedness. And then what? They hid. And then they tried to cover themselves. And it all became me, 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 me. What I want, what me, me. And then you see it with Cain and Abel. Me, me, me. This is what I've done. God, he said, I can't accept that. It's either the lamb or not. Well, then Cain, when his, he killed his brother, and then he went his own way, and because of Cain, we have modern society. It was from Cain that the first iron worker came. It was from Cain that the first, that secular music came about. Music that wasn't glorifying to God. Came about because of Cain. So now you see the world system because it's all about me. Me, me, what I want, what me. And the system of the world is to use my talents 
to make myself a living. Me, 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 me. I'll provide for myself. I'll take care of myself. I'll get myself out of this predicament. I'll take care of this sin problem. See, it just flows right on over into everything that we do. That's the biggest thing about the fall. Me. And if you come into my life and wreck my plan for me, then you are my enemy. Whether that's another person or God himself. But that's how we just, that's how we function. Let's just be real. That's how we function. May, if you make my life uncomfortable in any way, you got to go. Okay? You can't stay here. You got to go. Whether that's at our job, at anything. Whether that's at our job, even somebody in your own family that you can't get rid of because they're in your family. <laughs> but boy, they just make things miserable for me. Every time I get around them, they aggravate me. What's your focus? Me, me, me. It's all about me. And not you. That's one of the biggest things about the fall. So, denial of self. <laughs> so we depend totally on Christ and that's a real a tr that's a true denial of self and really the only way that you'll have a true denial of self is a total dependence upon Christ and to take up his cross now this like some people say well that's suffering no actually it's referring to the benefits of the cross the benefits of the new covenant to deny your own ability and to take up the benefits of the new covenant of the cross daily. That includes forgiveness of sin. We just go, let's just go through the benefits of the cross. Forgiveness of sin. Victory over sin in our lives. We're talking about sanctification there. Justification by faith. Sanctification by faith. That Jesus took the penalty of sin for us and he broke the power of sin over us through what he did at the cross. He took our place. We have relationship with God. We're joint heirs with Christ. I wouldn't be able to name them all. And the truth is, we don't even know how many there really are. I, I believe that in eternity, we'll be able to see the full picture then. And there's things there's benefits of the cross that we, that our minds can't even wrap around that we will know in eternity. And I can't wait for that because what I can see is real, real good. So if I can't even wrap my mind around it, then that is, wow. There are things about their benefits of the cross is really what that's talking about. Take up the benefits of the cross. Daily. You want to live free from, from sin? The only way is to deny yourself and to take up the benefits of the cross daily. That Christ broke the power of sin in your heart and life through what he did at the cross and your identification with him. And then it said, and follow me. So the order that he puts it is deny yourself, deny your own will and your own ability, your own willpower, your every, you deny it. 
then take up the benefits of the Calvary. And you got to do that daily. As you do that daily, you'll be able to follow me. And as you do that daily, you're going to learn more of him daily, daily, daily. And then you'll be able to say, oh, no, I know him. I know, I know him. That's really what that passage is saying. Um, but a lot of people, like I said, a lot of people, man, you say cross. <laughs> suffering, boy, get ready, boy. You're about to just suffer. But that's not, that's the, it's talking about the benefits of the cross. So let's get back to Romans here. We, we are definitely going off here, uh, but it's good. I think it's good. I'm, it's helping me. Amen. Uh, the efforts of man to earn their own salvation apart from God's plan of redemption is a worldwide problem and for all time. This isn't something that just popped up recently. I, you can take it on back all the way to the beginning. We'll go right back to Cain and Abel. God had a plan. You bring a lamb, I'll accept you. Abel brings a lamb. God accepts him. Cain brings the fruit of his labor to God. And God can't accept that. Because God can't accept anything that comes from us. He can't accept because we're sinful creatures. Anything that comes from us is tainted. Even the best of us is going to be tainted because we're, we are, we're fallen creatures. Like, not just like, hey, here's God and what, you know, hey, what we were, and then we just kind of like bumped down and took, like, it's not even close. We are fallen. He can't accept anything from us. He can only accept his son. That's why you bring the lamb and you get accepted. Because he can, he accepts the lamb, and when he accepts the lamb, the offering, then because he accepts the offering... He accepts the offerer, the one bringing the offering. If you offer anything up but the Lamb, Jesus Christ, then you won't be accepted. That's why, if we go back to what I Brother Dan, you want to be accepted by God, you read from Genesis to Revelation. But did Brother Danny offer the Lamb? No, he didn't. And did I even point Brother Danny into any direction about offering the lamb? No, I did not. So therefore, what will happen is, if he attempts to offer that up, God cannot accept it. And that's what his words, he can't accept it. It's not that he hates Brother Danny. He loves Brother Danny. And he's, he loves Brother Danny so much that he has provided the lamb for Brother Danny. All Brother Danny has to do is believe. But we as human beings are so prideful. No, no, I can do it. We don't say that blatantly with our mouths, but our actions sure do say it. No, 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 no. Thank you for the thank you for the lamb, God. But praise God. I'm gonna get rid of this sinful thing in my life. I'm gonna clean myself up, and then. I'm going to come to you. 
Man, you, you can't clean yourself up enough. You might as well just come like you're... The lamb has been provided. It's right there at the door. You just present that. And you'll be accepted by God. Yeah. Good, amen to good thing for that. <laughs> uh, next, next part. Um, I'm going yeah, to read the whole thing to you. Oh, okay. kind of just... For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Refers, refers to the righteousness of God, which alone can be obtained by faith in God. So if Brother Danny followed what I told him, and he went and read Genesis through Revelations in one year, he would not receive imputed righteousness by God. He would still be sinful, Brother Danny, who just happened to read a whole book in one year. <laughs> but good thing, Brother Danny. <laughs> but what we need is righteousness. We don't need we don't need water baptism. We need righteousness, and water baptism can't give you righteousness. Reading from Genesis to Revelation can't give Brother Danny righteousness. He needs righteousness, and that's not the answer for it. Brother Danny, if you need righteousness, though, I got good news. You can have it. And it's not through reading from Genesis to Revelation. You can have it right now if you believe that the Lamb of God was sent for you. And if you believe it and accept Him as Lord and Savior, then what God's going to do is give you His righteousness into your account free of charge. And you can have it. And you'll be perfectly accepted by God in right relationship with Him. You'll be able to sense the moving and operation of the Holy Spirit now. You won't be separated from God, but you'll be joined back together with Him. And you have a desire to read that Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Praise God. <laughs> and when you read it, guess what you're going to see? All about the Lamb that you just put your faith in. Amen. That's right. The contrast here is between law keeping versus promise believing. Law simply declares what is right and requires conformity to it, but does not provide any power to obey or atonement for not obeying, which man desperately needs. So I gave the example of touching that ceiling. Good thing you'll have high ceiling. I gave you the, the example of touching that ceiling. You want to be right with God. God's way for you to be right with Him is to touch that ceiling from standing on this ground and jumping. And if you touch that ceiling up there, you'll be right with God. Now, I've just given you a law. If you want to be right with God, you got to touch that ceiling. That's pretty much what the law of Moses was for us. You want to be right with God, keep all these. I can't do that. Even though we think we can. I can't do that. Well, if you want to be right with God. If you don't do that, you're not, if you don't touch that ceiling, you're not right with God. You can't be right with God unless you touch that. That's what law is like. It leaves you hopeless and condemned because I can't touch that ceiling. I can't do it. And it gives me no, it get, like I said, it gives no 
It gives me no power to touch that ceiling. Law in itself just says you got to do it in order to be right. But it gives me no power to actually get up there and touch that ceiling. Uh, and it gives me no atonement whenever I jump and I can't touch the ceiling. It just says, oh, oh, no, you didn't do it on the first try? Death. That's it. That's what the law of Moses is like. The Ten Commandments. You got to do it perfectly from the moment you take your first breath to the moment you take your last breath. No, can't. Not just one. The whole thing. The whole thing. Well, we can't. The only person that's ever been able to do that is Jesus Christ. Last time I checked, we just once let's just take the stress and the anxiety and the weight right off of us right now. Raise your hand if you're Jesus. Oh, okay, none of us. Well, that means we ain't gonna be able to. Do it. That means we're gonna fail. Law in itself works not righteousness but wrath, which is all that any law can do. Verse fourteen. For if they which are of the law the heirs, faith is made void. In essence, proclaims that Abraham's faith was of no consequence, which would as well include all who lived before the giving of the law. That is, if law keeping affords salvation. If anyone comes and says, you must do such and such to be saved, and it is anything other than simple faith in Christ and what he did, then it falls under this passage of scripture. It, I don't care what it is, anything, even if it's something good, like I gave Brother Danny, even if it's something good, water baptism is a good thing. Water baptism, I will never preach against water baptism. Water baptism is a good thing. And if you're saved and you love the Lord, then we should get water baptized. And it's just an outward showing of what's already taken place. Inwardly and what's already taken place in Christ. That's really the whole idea that you are baptized. You get baptized into water, fully submerged. We are, we are in Christ. <laughs> I remember when I first saw the correct way when I was in Bible college, watching a water baptism in Bible college um, for some of the Bible college students that hadn't been water baptized. And when it was taking place in Brother Larson's water baptizing people, and I saw it in the correct context, I wept for hours. Because it takes a spiritual thing and makes it alive. Yeah. Something that we understand. It makes it visible to us that because it says you are baptized into Christ. So just like that water, you're fully baptism is full submersion placed into. We as believers were placed into that water, fully submerged. That's we're in Christ like that, fully submerged in Christ. We are placed into him. So you get a chance to see that, which that, that just made me cry. <laughs> and then on top of that, it's being buried with Christ and then raised up unto newness of life. Well, that all happens in Christ. 
So I'm seeing all of this, and somebody's getting water baptized, and I'm weeping for hours because I've just seen it in the correct context. Not that says you got to do this to be saved, and if you're not water baptized, then you're not saved. But when I saw it in the correct context, I cried for hours. <laughs> and it was so beautiful. Water baptism became the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen in my life. And it wasn't just, okay, yeah, you got water baptized, praise God. We're being obedient. It wasn't check that off the list. Check that off. It wasn't that at all. It was honestly, it was praise God, I want to shout and dance. Praise God. That's that that's what it's meant. Just like in the Old Testament, all of the things were types and shadows, water baptism. Kind of the same idea. It is a type and a picture of what's happened in the spirit. In the spirit realm. That sounds weird, but yeah. it's, it's, it's what it's what has happened. So if anyone comes and adds anything, that's just it could be water, it could be anything. Anything at all, even if it's added to simple faith. If anyone adds this to simple faith in Christ, they also do the same thing. So if I say, Brother Danny, simple faith in Christ, you can be saved. And also, circumcision. Well, because I've just added that, I've just totally made all of it void. That what I've done is I've robbed Brother Danny of salvation because I've added something to the plan of God and God will not recognize that and in our reality if God is true to his word and he's right just holy then what he has to do is remove salvation he has to remove imputed righteousness because he can't impute righteousness to works or anything like that it's only simple faith so the moment something is added it becomes another gospel and it's not God's redemption plan, it's my redemption plan. Yes, you need to accept Jesus as the Messiah, and you need to get circumcised. Sounds like the book of Galatians. You need to accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah, and you need to be baptized and speak in tongues. But see, I'm just adding. I'm adding Tanner's gospel. Tanner's redemption plan, but that's not God's. Is the baptism with the Holy Spirit a part of God's plan for a Christian? You darn right it is. You darn right it is. <laughs> it, 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 it seems to imply that every believer needs to go on to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But the only way you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to be saved. Not the other way around. Water baptism is an example. There's 50 million examples. It could be anything under the sun. Even something really silly like accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Place your faith in Him. He is the Lord and Savior. The Lamb of God. And you can't drink sweet tea. And then you'll be saved. <laughs> Oh, well, praise God, we could do that. We could not. Now, in the South, we would, we would, nobody would be saved. <laughs> but anything, anything that's each. So if, if it's not simple faith and simple faith alone, 
then it's not God's redemption plan, it's another one. And it actually cancels out what you could have in Christ. Uh, the next part. And the promise made of none effect. Pertains to the great promise of God, which is Jesus Christ. He alone is the actual promise. This was the promise given in Genesis 3.15. To add anything to the finished work of Christ abrogates the promise and makes it of none effect. In other words, everything is nullified, which is what we just talked about. So if you add anything to it, that's why our stance has to be so strong. And that's why Paul's stance was so strong about adding anything to the gospel. He said, if any, even if an angel come and preach any other gospel, let him be accursed. And he was strong. He called the Judaizers that went to the Galatians and told them that they now needed to be uh, circumcised if they really, if they truly wanted to be really saved. Yes, everything Jesus as the Messiah was right. You need that and you need circumcision. Paul called them dogs. Because what it would do was rob them of the salvation that they had had. That they had received in Christ. In just, just faith in Jesus. Just, just saying yes to circumcision would have robbed them of their salvation. That's how, that's how, that's how big of a deal it is. It's not, it's not like, oh yeah, no big deal. It's, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay to have your faith in something else. No, it's not. The moment you do that, you're going to lose what you have. And that's, that's why Paul was so strong. And if Paul saw that it was that important to be so strong, we, we should see it the same way. Uh, verse 15. Because the law works wrath. All law has a penalty. Uh, I.e. wrath. Or else it is not law. So remember I say, if you can't touch that ceiling, you die. And you only got one shot to touch that ceiling. The law of God says, the Ten Commandments, the law of Moses says, if you don't keep it perfectly, you die. You break one, you break them all. And you're worthy of death. That's, it has a wrath to it. If it, all law has wrath to it. If a person attempts to earn their salvation by thinking they are keeping some type of law, they are doomed to failure. And besides that, must suffer its penalty. So if you choose to live by law, you have to suffer the penalty of the broken law, which is death, separation from God. Um, that's why it's all just a whole lot better to go the way of faith, <laughs> to go the way of faith in Christ, because then you know what happens? He takes the penalty for you. He takes the penalty of the broken law for you. And you don't have to, because he's our substitute. He's our substitutionary man. He is the last Adam. Uh, go ahead. For where no law is, there is no transgression. Is actually saying, the more that one attempts to keep some type of law, the more transgressions there will be. The reason is simple. 
the very purpose of law is to point out and define transgression. So that's what the whole law, that's what the law was for, to show us that we're sinners. The law is very simply meant to show you that you are not like God, that you are unrighteous, which makes you cry out for righteousness, and you find it in Jesus. If one attempts to overcome sin by a certain regimen or the keeping of certain rules, not only will they not overcome, but the sin will become even worse, no matter how hard they try otherwise. The law was given to show us that we are sinful. That same law showed that Christ was sinless. If you are under law, then you are under God's wrath. That's why it's so important that we operate by faith and grace and not law. Because if we're operating by law, then we are under the wrath of God. We're under God's wrath. And we have to be. Because God's righteous, holy, and just. He can't make an exception. Because he loves all of us. But he can't make an exception. That's why everyone that dies lost and goes to hell, they don't die because of, they die because of their rejection of Christ. I mean, they die. They go to hell because of their rejection of Christ. God has provided the means by which every man can avoid that. Believe in Jesus Christ and go my way. When you reject that, every person in hell rejected that. That's why they're in hell. Uh, verse 16. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. The effect of the law is condemnation, while the action of grace is justification. Paul here shows that the law did not give salvation because in fact it could not give salvation. Consequently, inasmuch as the law could only condemn the inheritance, i.e., the promise must be of faith and faith alone. The terms of God as to how the inheritance or eternal life is dispensed by God and appropriated by the sinner is this. The sinner is to exercise faith in Christ and what he did at Calvary rather than perform works. Um, the phrase that it might be by grace means that God's gift is just that, a gift, which is given to the sinner upon simple faith in Christ. God favors the sinner through no merit on the part of the sinner, but simply because the sinner has faith in Christ. This is God's way and the only way in which this great plan can function and operate. If the sinner earns salvation by his works, which we all have, we already know that can't be done. Salvation would not be by grace. Would not be an unmerited gift. But salvation is all of grace. Therefore, can only be received by faith. The next part, Dad. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, 
refers to the whole of humanity and for all time. The sheer promise carries the idea that God's plan of salvation by faith, in order that it might be by grace, will not change. Uh, the next part. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham. Speaks to both Jew and Gentile that they all must come the same way. Next part. Who is the father of us all? The patriarch is used as an example of faith. This tells us that simple faith in God, even with Abraham as our example, possesses an eternal quality which will never dim. Its consequences are eternal. God honors faith. Faith is available to everyone for all time and for all ages. It excludes no one. Abraham is the father of faith. And that is it for that section, and we will not get into the next section. And that is, oh. <laughs>